0: Oh, come on, Gavin, it's not like anyone's even gonna notice. Made some edits, I'll do some new ad-libs, and no one listens to the show in the first place. Ass. The following podcast contains... You can't say goddamn on the air. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. Explicit Language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks the simple question And you decided it was easier just to fuss around with some old script rather than writing a whole new episode What the hell were you thinking? I'm your host Dave Bledsoe and this is episode number 219 and 220 reprise edition of the show America and the Moon We update and report about that time America went to the moon Stay tuned What the Hell Were You Thinking podcast is brought to you by The Luna Luxury Hotel Accommodations on the Moon. The Luna will be a five-star luxury resort and casino on the near side of the Moon, offering stunning vistas of Earth and extraordinary dining and entertainment choices that, dare we say it, are out of this world. Book your reservations now for a small holding fee and be the first of our friends to visit the premier luxury lunar resort and spa destination. Be the first to visit The Luna. Reservations at the lunar are non-refundable and based entirely on supposition and expectation that eventually there will be civilian traffic to and front of the moon. No promises or expectations, real or inapplied, no funds friends exchanges. See your lunar travel agents for details. Remember the moon? <laughs> Remember the moon? Every year we used to go to the moon like clockwork. We never missed a trip. Then we just stopped. No one said a thing. Billions of dollars. Nothing. Can we just finally come to the conclusion that maybe the moon's not really that great? What happened, did one astronaut come back? Yeah, I went to the moon. (laughs) Sucked. You can tell the moon sucked because nobody who went to the moon ever volunteered to go back. It's a shitty vacation. you know. Like, oh, I'd love to go back, really. I'm in the middle of a root canal. I got the kids driving me crazy. I'd love to. You go, though. It's fun. You know, little tiny ship, nowhere. You shit in a bag. It's a good time. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'd love to go. I've talked on this show about my fascination with space. You know, the kids had Mother Goose. I had Kirk and Spock. And for about the first 10 years of my life, I more or less assumed that when I grew up, I would live and work I mean, after all, we'd landed on the moon, we put up that space station, and even settled our space beast with the Russians. We were kind of working together up there, and I figured just before much longer, we would have... An entire city in space. Boomer kids all grew up wanting to be astronauts. Gen X kids thinking that whatever we did, well, we'd just do it in space. Be it space fireman, space policeman, space soldier, space poet... Space advertising executive. I mean, everything was just going to be in space. Space was new and exciting by the mid 70s, but we all pretty much assumed that it was inevitable that. But I will know what it's like to be out there among the stars. And then, without any real explanation, everyone went all space. This is boring. I'm bored now. <laughs> Not the obsession with space as an entertainment vehicle. That got more and more intense over the years. It was the actual going to space that we just sort of stopped caring about. I mean, once we went to the moon and found it cold, dark, and empty. You a long way from Starbucks, homie. We decided it wasn't worth it. And we had the shuttles, sure, but uh, all that did was go up and go down. Admittedly, with occasional interruptions in service because of problematic going ups or coming downs. In the end, that was just a space U-Haul. Useful, but nothing to get excited about. And frankly, when we did get excited about the shuttles because something really bad had happened. I could tell you stories I heard about the Challenger from people who knew people who worked in NASA that keep, would keep you from telling another Need Another Seven Astronauts joke ever again. Except, you know, I heard those stories and I actually did make another Need Another Seven Astronauts jokes. But at least, at least I didn't do a head and shoulders washing up on the beach joke. You sick fuck. I guess what I'm really saying is this. The moon sucks and we never should have gone there. It's kind of like New Jersey that way. Since most of my listeners are Americans, you have only seen the raw, raw, look-at-what-we-did side of the moon story. So let me take a minute to tell you the real story of how and why we went to the moon. Era. I heard there was hot moon pussy there, Bobby no no i'm kidding i'm kidding <laughs> was not because kennedy heard there was pussy on the moon kennedy was getting plenty of pussy right here on earth now the reason we went was because of uh, nazis fucking nazis you see back in the 1930s germany had a problem it really wanted to bomb places like paris and london but this pesky treaty of versailles prevented germany from researching developing or building and deploying long-range artillery so This cat by the name of Karl Heinrich Emil Becker gathered the brightest minds of Germany together to come up with a way around that ban using semantics. The linguists put their heads together and came up with the idea that if Germany used something besides a big cannon, it wouldn't technically be a treaty violation. That was some black belt jujitsu bullshit right there. So Becker convened another panel of experts, this time on rockets, and the German Ballistic Missile Program was born. Now, one of the young minds in this program was a brilliant engineer and scientist by the name of Werner Von Braun. Werner had grown up fascinated, even obsessed by the ideas of using rockets to get to the moon. Those are big old dreams. According to Werner, it was because his dreams were so big that he got caught up with some very bad people did some very bad things that he personally was only aware of after the fact. The story, according to Werner and the OSS, the World War II precursor to the CIA, is that Werner joined the Nazi party in 1937 because well, da, of course I did, everyone was doing it, and if I didn't said God, people would talk, and it's like Klaus is such a little bitch about those things. This is, of course, what all the Nazis said. They only join the party to get along because all good Germans like to join things. It's in their pure Aryan blood. And of course, when asked by none other than Himmler himself to join the SS, well, it wasn't like Werner was going to say no. I mean, oof, yeah, it won't take up very much of your time at all. You won't have to come to meetings or mass executions or anything. So why not join up, yeah? There are many theories as to von Braun's True feelings about the Reich, Hitler's policies and politics, Werner always maintained ignorance of the worst and grudging acceptance of the rest because, well, what can you do? Michael Mark Cohen wrote in Medium, quote, But really, what was there for Werner von Braun not to love about the Third Reich? He obviously had no troubles filling in his pass, through racial passport required of all German citizens to certify their biological purity. Werner von Braun neither knew any Jews, nor did he harbor anti-Semitic feelings. As a conservative, though, he easily embraced Hitler's Hitler's sexism and anti-communism. But most importantly, Werner von Braun put his faith in Hitler's sense of mission, sharing a belief that it was Germany's destiny to seize leadership of the Western world through technology like the rocket, unquote. And oh, Werner certainly didn't pitch all that much of a fit about using slaves as labor and his v2 factories at penamunda because again what could i do i don't make the decisions they said you want these people and i said yes because i need to build the rockets because he really wanted to build the rockets for werner he was all about the rockets what you did with the rockets wasn't his problems his rockets were for going to space that you could say I don't know, slap a bomb on them and drop them on civilians in London, well... Social problem. Somebody else's problem. And all Werner wanted was just to take a rocket to the moon. Meanwhile, over here in America, a different group of scientists were hard at work on a little project of their own. Their project in and of itself had nothing to do with rockets, other than a mutual tendency to explode. But this very, very secret project had a lot of great minds working tangentially on different aspects of the issue, even if some of the people didn't know precisely what the project was. Of course, we now know that they were developing the world's first toaster strudel. Now, there were several ways to get the toaster strudel where you wanted it to be. Most obviously, of course, was by an airplane. Which is how we made our first strudel deliveries. But the problem with airplanes is they can be shot down. But if one were to mount a toaster strudel at the tip of a rocket, then you would have truly amazing toaster strudel delivery system which is why even before the war was over Allied soldiers were rounding up German rocket scientists wherever they could find them. And can I tempt you with some toaster strudels? Ironically enough the Russians knew all about our secret strudel program and they too were rounding up German rocket scientists as fast as they could even though they would not have their own toaster pastry for at least another couple of years. That better not be my last toaster strudel. It was the Americans, however, who would scoop up Werner and the bulk of his team and spirit them off to America while Hitler's corpse was still smoking. The Russians may have not gotten Werner or the best scientists, but they did get the factory at Penamunda and a bunch of V2s, and they already had a dude of their own by the name of Sergei Korolev, who essentially became the father of practical space flight for humans, what we now call... Astronautics. The Soviet Union's most gifted rocket scientist was literally plucked from a prison camp in Siberia to work on rockets for the state. I mean, Russians. <laughs> Russians. Under Korolev, the Soviets had a practical intercontinental ballistic missile by 1957, while the, still, the United States was still dicking around with a bunch of different systems under multiple agencies and achieving very little, if anything, at all. This continued until October of 1957 when old Sergei Korolev convinced the Soviet Union that launching a satellite with one of his new missiles would very much embarrass the United States, which it did. The epical scientific achievement by Soviet Russia in beating the United States of America in the race to launch the first man-made moon has all humanity staring heavenward. For the miracle here simulated may have more profound implications than we mortals are ordinarily called on to grasp at once. Scientifically, militarily, politically, these tracking antennae by the knowledge they will gather from the speeding orb may well affect mankind as nothing before may mark a moment in history unparalleled cause changes to beggar the imagination now america being filled with americans we immediately said fuck you there's nothing those dirty ruskies can do that we couldn't do better and promptly built our own rocket which uh america bloated up real good yeah it exploded on the pad and the united states was pretty much a laughingstock around the world Amerikinsky rockets, small and weak, They droopy droopy on pad And then go off before they want them to go off While strong, thick, beefy Russian rockets Go off on time, every time And please women This is because it is thick like Russian penis And Amerikinsky rockets are small and puny like American penis Core 11 the Russians would go on to beat the United States in the space race for many years. They put the first animals in space. Pigs in space. They sent probes to the moon and finally in 1961 the Ruskies succeeded in putting a man in orbit. Though there is a theory that Yuri Gagarin was not the first human to being to make it into space, he was just the first one to come back alive. But those are scurrilous rumors that have never been proven. Nevertheless, come back alive he did, and the Soviets were widely seen as winning the space race. It was a bad publicity look for America, but it didn't mean anything, really. Well, here's the thing. If you can put a man into orbit, and then bring him back relatively close to where you want him to land... You could theoretically do the same thing with a toaster's strudel. I don't know why I keep calling them strudels. I'm talking about nuclear warheads. That's a bit of a problem. And so America got real serious real quick about the space race. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. <laughs> <laughs> Which brings us back to our favorite Nazi, Werner von Braun, who uh, JFK goes up to and says, uh, Era, could you help me get to the moon there, Werner? And Werner says, Oof, ja, the moon is nicht problem. It will, however, cost quite a bit of money. To which JFK says, Did you take checks? Oh, sure. And hands Werner a blank one, with the unspoken caveat that part of the deal is that the rockets be, you know, dual purpose. Werner's Mercury-Redstone rocket carries Gus Grissom into space. Not like orbit or anything, but technically space, the best kind of space. But the money and research that it took Grissom up also helped develop develop the Atlas E Intercontinental Ballistic Missile, which was the first widely deployed nuclear missile in the United States. But it was the Gemini program that gave us the real game changer. The Titan II multi-stage ICBM, which was coincidentally big enough to carry multiple people into orbit and keep them there for a longer time so they could, like, train to go to the moon and stuff. It was all very exciting and full of wonder and mystery, and oh my god, it cost so much money. Making a shit ton of money? Gemini alone was worth over $7 billion in today's money, and that would pale in comparison to Apollo, which would eventually get us to the moon. Werner Von Braun had always wanted to build a big rocket, a huge rocket. Monster rocket, just the most massive throbbing phallic fucking object in human history, and because we needed just such a huge dick rocket to get to the moon, he would finally get to build one. The Saturn V booster remains to this day the biggest, most powerful penis substitute in history. I mean, Elon's working on one that's bigger, but Elon and Werner... They got a lot of Venn diagram overlaps overlaps, because they were both building a rocket finally big enough to send all the Jews in space. Space! 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 I'm just assuming Elon hates the Jews too. Each Saturn V cost $1.2 billion in today's money per launch. For context, 13 Saturn Vs were launched. 12 of them made it off the ground anyway. They went up and either fell back into the ocean or burned up in the atmosphere, because they were always intended to be single-use objects. It costs the same money in, t- in today's money as our most modern aircraft carrier, which, say what you will about it, is at least intended to be around a few decades, presuming it doesn't get blown up by a Chinese missile in 10 years or so. The total cost of an Apollo program from start to finish was $150 billion plus in today's money, all to send some dudes up, pick up some rocks, no bases, no black obelisks, just some rocks, and some... Camera shots of dudes riding around in their loon buggies. Now that's a pun. And, oh God, yeah, they did hit some golf balls. I mean, they could have done all of that on Earth for a couple of hundred bucks right in Arizona. And if you look at it, they still had a 20% failure rate for the program. You spent $150 billion to fail two out of ten times, you're going to want 20% of that money back. But you got to admit, we did beat the Russians to the moon. The Russians who never even came close to putting dudes in loon buggies up there, where they could play moon soccer, on July sixteenth, nineteen sixty-nine, Apollo eleven with Buzz Aldrin, Neil Armstrong, and Michael Collins, who never even left the bus that took them there, lifted off from Earth and became the first human beings to land on another planet. Or did they? Patience, pod friends. Patience. We'll get there. And for one glorious moment, all of humanity held its breath and believed that maybe, maybe we had a future out there among the stars that we could be bigger than our tribes our religions or our nations that we could reach out and touch the face of god then we did discovered it kind of sucked and no one cared anymore estimates put the total of space exploration from the mercury program all the way up today at around a trillion bucks. I'll go ahead and chuck in the cost of finding and feeding all the Nazis and round it off at about a trillion. And what did we get for our trillion dollars in taxpayer money? Well, many people would say that we got modern society. We got all of this because we needed to nuke the Russians from a long distance without them shooting down our planes. I mean, we did get tiny computers that we keep in our pockets and we use those tiny computers to take digital photos. And we use those, and those photos on those tiny computers in our pockets are of our food. And we take those photos of our food and upload them to computer networks. Those were definitely needed for spaceflight, And those same computer networks will provide us turn-by-turn directions to get to the places where we buy the food that we will take the photos of and upload them to the network. Should we get ran over by, say, a car because we were staring in our pocket computers over some picture of a cat that was on the computer network rather than paying attention to where we were going, then we can get an artificial leg made from materials developed in the space race. And at night, when we sit at home alone, staring blankly into the pocket computer, Watching some video on the network that we created because of the space waste. We eat some microwavable crap that is supposed to taste like food. And we have that microwavable crap because we needed to send Chef Boyardee ravioli to the moon. And all of this is because we needed to nuke the Russians without our planes getting shot down. However, the Russians can use the same thing, both the missiles, to shoot them right back at us that they sort of developed before we did to destroy our country, but they don't need to because they can just use the networks and pocket computers that we built in the first place to destroy our country without ever firing a shot. And that's the balance in the universe. (sighs) We could have, I suppose, spent all that money and time developing things to help people right here on this planet i mean if we had poured a trillion dollars over the 75 years into creating technologies to heal people or protect the only planet we can actually live on despite what elon musk believes or make sure that the people who are on this planet now had enough to eat and have some place to live one could say that that money might have been better spent i mean imagine where we might be if some of that money was spent on educating everyone so they understood the science and engineering better who knows we might have had bases on the moon already instead of just some footprints and dusty flags we might be out there on the stars right now if we invested less in nuclear tip missiles and aircraft to drop nukes on russia or russia on us and if we took all that money and the ideas of the space program and applied them to making the earth a better place to live we might be happier healthier and wealthier but honestly honestly that was never going to happen because what did we think we were gonna get when we hired Nazis to run the whole fucking show? And if there's one thing that, that contemporary politics and society has proved is that everything is worse when there are Nazis. So that's how we went to the moon. But what have I told you that none of that happened? None of that ever happened. All that money was actually spent to make you think we went to the moon. I would call you a liar. Well, I'm not lying. I mean, a whole bunch of other people are lying, but not me personally. So I guess we can talk about the other side of this story, the, uh, the dark side of the moon missions. Really, really Dave? Dave? And you cannot begin your exploration of moon hoaxing with anyone other than the guy who started it all, Bill Kazing. Kazine was a one time furniture maker and technical writer who worked for a company named Rocketdyne. <laughs> Rocketdyne. That name is so fucking 1950s, it should have a greaseback pompadour and a lucky strike in its mouth. That's why I'm keeping the faith. Yay, yeah, yay, yeah, yay, yeah, yeah. keeping the faith. Rocketdyne made rocket engines. Duh. What else would it make? Dishwashers? Indeed, they built the engines for the Saturn V, but Bill Kazine. Was no rocket scientist. Bill was a writer. Specifically, he was a copywriter for Rocketdyne for a little while because he resigned from Rocketdyne in 1963 for uh, personal reasons. In 1976, Bill would write his magnum opus We Never Went to the Moon America's $30 billion swindle still available on Amazon today for the low price of $36.78, where reviewer John G. Wallace said in March of two thousand nineteen, quote, It is important to know the evidence presented in this book. This book can provide a useful framework for further investigation, unquote. In technical terminology, he's a loon. This would apply to both the author and the reviewer. Casey, as Casey asserted in his book, as quoted in Wikipedia, quote, asserted that during his tenure at Rocketdyne, he was privy to documents pertaining to the Mercury, Gemini, Atlas, and Apollo programs, arguing that one does not need an engineering or science degree to determine the hoax was being perpetrated. The Rocketdyne scientist, whom he worked with, told him there was enough technology at the time to perhaps send a crude rocket to the moon, but not enough technology to develop to return them safely to Earth. They also talked about the very real problem of traveling through atmospheric radiation without harming the astronauts, something that needed to be solved. Even before July 1969, he, casing had a hunch, an intuition, a true conviction, and decided that he did not believe that anyone was going to the moon, unquote. Well, I'm convinced a professional-looking film like that has got to be right. His reasons as detailed in We Never Went to the Moon and the Blockbuster follow-up in 2001, Conspiracy Theory, Did We Land on the Moon? We absolutely did. Thank you for remembering that. The base for pretty much all the conspiracy theories that follow for the next fifty years. NASA lacked the technical expertise to put expertise to put a man on the moon, the absence of stars and lunar surface photographs, unexplained optical anomalies and photographs taken on the moon, the absence of blast craters beneath lunar modules. He claimed that the rocket engine of the lunar module should have generated an enormous dust cloud near their land site landing sites in the final seconds of descent. The mysterious death of Thomas Ronald Barron, a quality control and safety inspector for North American Aviation. The Dutch papers had questions regarding the authenticity of the moon landings. He went even further to claim that NASA staged not only the Apollo 1 fire, which killed three astronauts, but also the Challenger explosion and killed the astronauts to help cover up their deeds. Just a broken guy, more than a few blocks from Sane. I mean, yes, he was, but maybe... He wasn't a full-on nut job. I spent a lot of time digging around trying to get into the mind of Bill Casing. but for all he wrote prolifically, there's very little bit about his life separate from his rather exotic opinions about space travel. I wanted to know, was he a true believer or was he a con man? And I tried to find out. I guess I could have read his books, but honestly, I'm right in this show, and uh, who has that kind of time? So instead, I pulled this from the bio on BillCasing.com, a tribute website kept by another conspiracy theorist, or as we call them, a <coughs> quote. Mr. Casey moved his to houseboat to Oakland, California. It was here in the harbor area that he met some Vietnam War veterans. The conversations he had with these disillusioned veterans inspired him to research and then the then-recent the then USA moon landing. Mr. Casey discovered enough evidence collected worldwide to make him doubt the credibility of NASA. His book, We Never Went to the Moon, was a result of many years of research, subsequently earning, subsequently earning him the distinction of the father of the moon hoax theory. As a result of this book, he became a popular guest on talk radio and television shows around the world. He often stated that he used the moon hoax theory to inspire people to question authority, especially our country's leadership, and to live life as he had done, free of Madison Avenue or corporate influences, unquote. yeah, okay, I can kind of see how a country that was perfectly willing to fabricate a context to start a war that would go on to kill millions of people just to give the finger to the commies, might just fabricate an entire moon landing to give the finger to the commies. They didn't do that, but I could see how someone like Bill could think that they would. Of course, Casey couldn't do it alone. There are plenty of other people out there who will explain to you how we never landed on the moon. James H. Fester, also known as what else but Uncle Fester, I'll tell you what happened to him. I certain someone had a senior moment. Who once upon a time was a respected philosopher of science and an expert in cognitive science and artificial intelligence. but in the 1990s, he apparently went Such a crazy and embraced conspiracy theories on everything from the moon landing to JFK to 9/11 and completing the complete conspiracy theory pyramid, of course, denying the Holocaust. You simply cannot go off the deep end without a healthy dose of anti-Semitism. I do not know why this is. I only know that this is true. Then you have Ralph Rene, a self-proclaimed expert in physics. Pro tip, pod friends. Anytime someone is a self-proclaimed expert in anything, you can safely write them off as a... Uh... An idiot. Ralph theory was then entirely predicated on the amount of water necessary for the mission to the moon. But you see Ralph's math was wrong in every possible way because again, Ralph Rene is uh... He is an idiot. Ralph also thought that 9-11 was a hoax and that Einstein was full of shit because again, Ralph Rene is- Fucking idiot. Bart Sibrel is my favorite Moonite not because his theories are in any way correct or even more entertaining than other dipshits out there but because Bart is such a pathetic moron that he was punched in the mouth by an old man. You're the one who said you walked in the men when you didn't. Calling a kettle black if ever thought of it. You get myself? away from me. You're a coward and a liar and a thief. The audio, of course, does not do justice, but you can hear the old man, an old man that could certainly kick my ass. That is Buzz Aldrin being harassed by Mart until he has had enough. He was asked nicely for someone to get Bart away from him, and just popped Bart right in the fucking mouth when Bart called him a liar and a coward. If you talk shit to Buzz fucking Aldrin, you are going to get a pop in the mouth, Sonny. For, of course, Bart was talking shit to Buzz, and Buzz was not here for that shit. You got knocked the fuck out! This moment remains in my heart at least as awesome as Buzz Aldrin going to the moon in the first place. Then there was Jack White, who liked to examine photographs to prove whatever whack job Jack White thought was in his broken brain at the moment, including the JFK assassination footage. Somehow, Jack managed to even find himself testifying for the House Select Committee on Assassinations. The committee did not find his evidence compelling and generally addressed his information with the sort of demeanor we've come to expect from Congress. Hey, who's this asshole? And his evidence for the moon, well, it's no more compelling than his analysis of the Zapruder footage. And if you're looking for a living and modern dipshit moon hoaxer, you could just head over to Jarrah White's, no relation to Jack's YouTube channel, where he will happily retread Ralph René's theories and bad math. Jarrah doesn't believe that pi is properly calculated despite thousands of years of People calculated it correctly and will sell you a 12 page pamphlet for 14 bucks explaining how Archimedes got it wrong. You got some set of balls, you know that? Jira's raison dipshit is that no external sources track the Apollo 11 landing. Ipso facto, it never happened. Except for all the external people including multiple sovereign nations did in fact track the flights. But something like reality has never a Jarrah White. He's going to keep on speaking his truth and collecting that fat money on his pie calculations. To be certain, there are more moon hoaxers out there, but the theory has lost some of its cachet since Bill Casing dropped it all those years ago. A Knight Ritter poll from the 1970s put the number of people who thought we faked the moon landing as high as 30%, which is a stunning number of people when you think about it. But when you also think about it, look at all the shit that had gone down in the years leading up to that poll. You kind of have to go back to Casey's way of thinking. Well, if they're willing to lie about all this other stuff, why not the moon too? And there was a lot of stuff we learned about in the 1970s besides the big one about the Vietnam War, about how the CIA was spying on Americans along with the FBI, how the FBI planted information on Martin Luther King, how the government let black men die of syphilis that, that went untreated for decades, and so much more. Top that off with Nixon, and yeah, I can see how 30% of the people might have had their doubts. But by 1999, the last available poll numbers I could find, only about 6% of Americans believed the moon landings were faked, a more reasonable number by far. Who knows what that number is today, with the Q-tards out there and their conspiracy theories dropping like turds behind a cattle drive. But I suspect that even still, it's pretty small. Today, the moon hoaxers are largely folded into some of the larger conspiracy theories. Flat earthers naturally don't believe we went to the moon because if we went to the moon, then we would obviously see the lie about the earth being a globe. Come on, people. And if they are not flat earthers, then they are deep staters or Illuminatis who believe the government is lying to you to keep, the do- keep you docile and compliant. The whole moon thing was part of a larger disinformation campaign to keep the entire earth in the Illuminati's thrall. Or if you're more of a UFO theorist, then you've got uh, John Lear, the son of the Learjet inventor and far more important, the inventor of the eight track cassette, Bill Lear. John is a die-hard conspiracy theorist, including but not limited to the moon hoax theory. John explained his theory to Slate Magazine's Mark Jacobson thusly, quote, Lear was going on about the Van Allen belts, the radioactive particle fields that surround the planet. Moon deniers say they would have caused the Apollo 11 to burn up. NASA claimed they just flew around them, Lear mocked. This was impossibly said because the Van Allen belts were no natural phenomenon. They had been purposely placed 500 to 25,000 miles above the Earth by a superior civilization of ETs that served as custodians of the universe. There was to be no flying around these Van Allen belts, no passing through them, certainly not by Apollo 11 or any other resident of this planet. The ETs make sure we don't go anywhere, Lear said. They don't want earthlings like us contaminating the solar system. This was the way it would stay, Lear continued, until humanity learns to live without envy, hate, and greed, unquote. Oh, okay, all right, well, you can go then. Before Neil Armstrong died, Neil Armstrong, a far less punch-you-in-the-mouth sort of guy than Buzz Aldrin, he said in 2012, quote, "...people love conspiracy theories. They're very attractive, but it was never concerned to me because I know one day somebody's going to go fly back up there and pick up that camera I left," unquote. Which is the problem with all the moon hoaxers and why the theory has become so much less popular. The moon is no longer mysterious or even that exciting. To be sure, it remains incredibly hard to get to, like, say, getting to Williamsburg on the weekends. Once again, the MTA has bested us. But you can get there if you have enough money. And really, all you need to do is turn a big enough camera lens on the moon and you can see the evidence of our presence. The moon kind of needs crying fake Indians because we've left so much garbage up there. You can literally see the loon buggy tracks in the orbital photos. The only way not to believe in moon landings is to ignore the mountains of evidence for proving that we landed on the moon. That's a lot of work. It's just easier to believe in something that requires less brain power, like, say, a super-secret devil-worshipping pedophile cabal than it is in a moon hoax. And if there's anything conspiracy theorists are in general need of is using less brain power because they are not working with that much in the first place. Still... All those conspiracy theories are out there, and I think I have the most sympathy for the Moonites because I kind of understand them. Not not the batshit crazy part, but the part that, of it that thinks things might be better if we just never win at all. I'm sorry, what not? It's like I said, we spent all that money to do something huge, monumental, life-changing, something that would alter the entire human species. We literally left this planet and went to another one, and then we just stopped. Instead of reaching further out in the universe and rising to new challenges, we fell back to Earth, and we got smaller, more isolated, dug deeper into our tribes and enclaves. We took all the technology and science we created to do this amazing thing and used it not to go further and faster and reach for new frontiers. We made microwave burritos and sneakers with lights in the heels. Instead of planting flags on Mars, we... Got Facebooks, where simpletons can go to find other simpletons and spread lies about things we know to be true, and then somehow make money from doing it. We could have people on Mars right now finding new ways to change the environment and learning to live with the resources they have instead of what we have here, where we are turning the only planet that we have into a crock pot of shit. If we were going to do that, we could have just stayed home in the first place and saved a trillion fucking dollars. And based on recent revelations about UAPs or UFOs or whatever the fuck is going on with that, for all I know, maybe John Lear is right. Maybe we ran into the Galactic Health Service who slapped a quarantine on this idiot species who took one look at us and said, The line must be drawn here. This far, no father. You can send out your little probes and robots, but you stay home. We don't need your stupid infecting the rest of the galaxy. And looking at the world I call home, honestly, I can't say as I blame them. that is it for the show this week okay yeah yeah this wasn't a new show i i know that you know that it says so in the title but hey it's edited and re-recorded with some new stuff and uh i took some other stuff that was you know time period specific out i mean i took out all the trump references you're welcome why is this not a new show entirely like i said i was going to do last week well i'll tell you pod friends you see recording this show is fun I drink some whiskey, I make fun of Gavin, and just generally have a good time. Writing the show, on the other hand, can be less fun. Over eight years and nearly 500 episodes, counting all the specials and blah, 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 blah. I've written way over a million words. And admittedly, if you took out the curse words, they would probably be closer to 700 feet. And I love to write. That's why I make the show. But also sometimes I really fucking hate to write. Even a silly show like the movie night takes hours to write, and this week I, I, I didn't have it. So I took this old show, which thematically fits with a couple of shows we just did, and I knocked the dust off it, served it up, and for you to enjoy or or not, I I don't care. You're either going to listen to it or you're not. You're either you're in or you're out. No one's going to listen to this show and be like, oh, well, I was going to become a devoted fan of this podcast and donate money, and then now I'm not because he served me up a rerun. Speaking of uh, donating money, you can hit us up for a buck if you like these shows or hate these shows or just think, I don't know, it'd be funny to send a dollar to an asshole who gets drunk and re-records old stuff. Hit us up at patreon.com slash whatthehellpodcast. Now, you need to do all the things that Jeremy tells you to do in the closing credits. Otherwise, he will be forced to reveal the dark, sinister secret about this show, the true conspiracy theory behind it. It is that it has always been written and recorded by an AI who had a bottle of Jameson spilled in the server. So, you, you'll never know the difference. I'm not even sure I'm real myself. And so for me, Dave, a man whose allegiance is ruled by expediency. blood. So, producer, don't say he's hypocritical. Ron, say rather that a man he's apolitical. Gavin! And all the fictional moon hoaxes on this show, we want to say... He won't you may be a big hero Nazi once you've learned Nazi to count backwards Von to Von zero, just like Werner Von Braun. And we'll see you all next week with some new content, if I can bring myself to write it. Once the rockets are up, who cares where they come down? That's not my department, says Werner Von Braun. Some have harsh words for this man of renown, but some think our attitude should be one of gratitude. Like the widows and cripples in old London town, who owe their large pensions to Werner von Braun. You two What the Hell Were You Thinking stars Dave Bledsoe and features Gavin St. James and several fictional minions. The show is produced by Kimberly Steele and a part of the Seltzer Kings Podcast Network. You can find more information on the show on their website, whatthehellpodcast.com or on Twitter at thehell underscore podcast or on Facebook as what the Hell Podcast. Thanks for listening. I have no ending for this, so I take a small bow.